Good morning. How we doing? About five of you are awake. Good stuff. My name is Matthew Trexler. I graduated here a long, long time ago and about 60 pounds ago. And uh, man, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. I have a wife, Nicole, that I met here. And uh, I was looking around today as you were walking in. I was trying to figure out who met this week, who met the first week, or who met last night. And uh, I'm trying to figure a few of that out. A lot of hugging and things like that. Um, Good luck with all that, all right? We'll talk about that more later. Uh, I have a daughter, Adriana, who's 17, who will be a student here next year. We're excited about that. We, uh, yeah, we're excited that she's going to, she's not going to wear purple or any other colors to the Crossroads Elite Conference. Amen. Nobody wants to go to Upland College. Um, did I say that publicly? We can do that today because at church I can't do that, all right? And I have a son, Levi, who's 11, going on 30, and a daughter, Lydia, who uh, her greatest thing in life is she got a cat stroller for her birthday. And her, got her cat on Instagram, and she's 11 now herself as well. So I'm going to share with you my story a little bit, my story of where I've come from and, and a, a journey of doubt. And uh, I want you to know I didn't levitate out of my bed this morning. I just simply woke up, rolled out, hit the floor, tried to work out. And then, uh, so I haven't arrived spiritually. So if, I want you to get that, that I'm not preaching at you, that I'm crying to, in a journey with you. And uh, I just want to walk through what's been a journey in my own life. Here in the last about six months, I've become really passionate about this idea of overcoming. And uh, if you've been to the river, you've heard me talk about that. And the the reality is is that if we're going to be overcomers, that that we believe that that's what God has called us to, that if we're a child of God, that we have been set free. We just sang it. I hope it's more than a song for you. But the opposite for me of overcoming is underachieving. And I don't know about you, but I don't really want to be an underachiever in my life. I want to be an overcomer. And so this morning, I want to share with you just my journey from probably underachieving spiritually to hopefully a season of life where I feel like I'm radically overcoming some things that God has has placed in my life and that the enemy is going to throw out there. This past summer, I was in Washington, D.C. I had the privilege of stopping off at the Holocaust Memorial. Anybody ever been there in D.C.? Now, let me just help you, man. I know you're on your phone. I know you're tweeting. And if something cool happens, tweet me out there, all right? That'd be cool, all right? And you're whatever, or you're going to sleep. You're thinking about the test you're having a little bit. But at least respond just like with a grunt, all right? Can we do that? All right? At least these three guys down here have, all right? So, because I need you to talk to me, or this is going to be a really boring 20 minutes, okay? For you and for me. But I was there, and I walked into a room in the Holocaust Memorial, and there's a room that it just kind of shook me to my core, and inside that room there were shoes everywhere. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. There's all these shoes of these Jewish people that they had taken from them when they were in Auschwitz before they entered into the death chamber, and and it just kind of shook me to my core, and so I really came home and started studying and digging in, and and, uh, man, what was the Holocaust like and about, and I started reading all kinds of different books, and one of the books I read was the book Night. It written by a guy named Eli Weitzel, and uh, I can't pronounce it right, so we're just going to call him Eli this morning. And Eli shared in his book the fact that he survived Auschwitz and this, this horrible, horrible deal, and as he walked through this and he, he overcomes all of this, he, he qu- his question in the book is like, how can I still have my faith in God after Auschwitz? How can I still have my faith in God when I watched my dad die? How can I still have my faith in God? And what's amazing to me is he says, because of the realness and the trueness of who God was in his life. This is a guy who had the Torah memorized. I mean, he's got the whole deal going on. 
And he says, the one decision I made was that I would never divorce myself from my faith no matter how bad things got. And in the process of some of the worst conditions that we could never dream of, he held fast to his faith. He never, never wavered from it. It doesn't mean he didn't doubt God. So I want you to think about it for a second. If we're going to overcome and be overcomers in our lives, if we're going to overcome the doubt-ridden world that we live in, anybody ever doubt? Anybody have any questions of doubt? If we're ever going to overcome that, we need to hold on to the promise of Romans 3.32 where it says this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. I'm here to tell you, my goal is this morning is that you walk out of here with a new belief, understanding that it's not your belief, but it's ultimately God's belief. It's actually a belief in a God. It's not your righteousness, but it's God's righteousness. You and I can do nothing to get right, but because of the sacrifice of God sending his son, today you and I have the ability to live free and free indeed, and it's more than a song. Is anybody with me this morning? But we're talking about war, and every day when I wake up, every single day when I wake up and have to roll out of my bed, I have to make a conscious decision to say, today, God, I'm choosing to believe in you, even in the midst of doubt in my own life. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, so we fix our eyes. Anybody know the verse? Not on what is what? Seen, but we fix our eyes what is unseen, since what is, unse- since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I can't always see it, but i got to trust him. I choose every day. God, I don't know what we're going to be up against today. I don't know what the next phone call could mean. It could be great news or it could be bad news. But I'm choosing in this moment to trust and believe in you. You ever have those moments? It's, you know, it's every day. It's not like every day I wake up with this massive shock. You know, I, I remember when I played basketball a long time ago here, and we weren't very good, all right? And so I was allowed to be on the team with nine fingers and the whole deal. And so it was a cool deal. And because uh, there was like five guys over here following my hand back and forth, all right? There's only four there. We'll put it back in my pocket so you can pay attention, all right? But here's the deal. Just pay attention, JC, all right? So here's the deal. So, man, I remember I love the ice bath. Are there any athletes in here that love an ice bath? Good ice bath, man. I love to get in the ice whirlpool, man. It was great. So I had met this smoking hot girl. Her name's Nicole. She took me. She lived in Traverse City, Michigan. All the Michigan people, you know that's way up here. All right? And so beautiful place. Great in the summertime. Freezing cold in the wintertime. All right? Lots of snow. So I'm at their house. We had played. And I'd gone up there. I had a couple days off. And we were visiting. And I'm like, man, I need to... I need to take a little ice bath. My legs are cramming. I just like to do it. And it was kind of like a man test, all right, to prove I could do it. And so I go into their bathtub, and they're all small people. And I'm like, man, this isn't going to work. So I start thinking in my mind, hey, there's a lake that's almost frozen, but it's not frozen. I could just go sit in it for about 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, and this would be a great deal. Not thinking about the cars that would drive by and think I'm nuts. My father-in-law tests me on this and goes, I don't believe you'll do it. I said, old man, I don't believe you'll do it. And when I called him old man, he was 41, all right? I'm 41 today. That is not old, all right? And so I challenge him. And so to a steak dinner at this place up there, I said, man, you go, you, if you do it, you owe me a steak dinner. Or if you don't do it, you owe me a steak dinner. Let me get that story right. But if I do it, you, yeah, you, you get the story, all right? <laughs> Bottom line was, if, if I did it, he wasn't getting anything out of me, okay? I was a broke college student. 
And uh, we go out there, and he runs out. He, he had a little Ford Tempo, man, like a little blue little car. And he, he gets out of his car, and he runs out there and splashes around in the water like a little sissy and jumps back in. I go out there and just sit down. About 10 minutes into this, man, a cop pulls up. My now wife is sitting in our car and says, is he okay? Oh, he's fine. He's just taking an ice bath. Bathtub's too small at our house. You just don't understand. Yada, yada. He's not really all there. But you know when you enter into that water, anybody with me? That's a shocking moment. Anybody? Or you jump in a pool for the first time in Indiana and the people are too tight to buy a heater. All right? I mean, you kind of know it, man. It's like it wakes you up. But I'm here to tell you that every day when I wake up to make a choice to choose God and to choose his way, not my way, to trust in the unseen, not the seen, it's not this shocking moment of ice water flowing over my veins. No, it's a simple, just, I'm waking up today, God, I'm going to follow you. And the hardest part of that is especially in what I would call the Christian bubble that I live in and work in, and probably, let's just be straight, the Christian bubble that you presently live in is to put ourselves in spiritual cruise control. Come on. And some of us get in spiritual cruise control, and we just kind of cruise our way through life, and everything's good, and everything's easy, as long as I can stay inside my Christian bubble. But the minute my bubble gets burst, then I don't know if I can really sing that I am being set free. And here's why I know that, because in 2 Kings we see a story. There's a guy named Elisha. He's, he's, uh, he's telling everything he can about the king of Aram so the Israelites could win the battle. And he's got, a, he's got a little servant guy, and I can't pronounce his name because I didn't go to all my classes when I was here, all right? And I definitely wasn't really great at the king's test that Dr. Williams gave way back in the day, but I knew there was a king and there was a place called Aram, all right? And so Elisha, I got that down. He's got a servant. And they're in the midst of this battle, and the king of Aram gets ticked off because Elisha's saying every time he uses the bathroom, and so he's like, hey, we've got to figure this out. So he sends, he sends some guys to kill Elisha, and we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. It says, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do, the servant asked. Verse 16, Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now let's just stop real quick for a second. The servant's probably thinking, Elisha has lost his mind. Two, one plus one equals, all right, some of you need to go back to basic math, all right? One plus one equals two. Servant looks out, there's two of us and there's hundreds of them. Who are you talking about? The guy's got glaucoma. He's got something going on. He can't see right anymore. He's lost his mind. He thinks there's more people out there. He's hallucinating than what there presently are. And then Elisha prays for him in verse 17. And he says, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Here's what, here's what I want you to know, man. He goes back to the door, and the circumstance had not changed. He was still surrounded by all of the things that he had walked in with in the beginning. Nothing had changed except his eyesight. Nothing else had changed. So I'm here to tell you today, if we wake up every morning and I choose to believe in God, I choose to go deeper in my love relationship with him. It doesn't mean that all hell isn't going to break loose in my life today. It doesn't mean that I'm going to have moments where I have to question God. There's, not going, to be, there's going to be moments where I doubt God and say, God, are you sure you know what you're doing? 
just my journey. I don't know if it's offensive to you. My guess is this. If you were to be honest, there have been moments of doubt. There's been moments where you've doubted God in your heart. Anybody ask God, where are you in this? Anybody uh, ever said, man, God, I don't get where you're at now. I've never felt that ever before in my life until I received the phone call that I never wanted to receive. My wife is my best friend, but my next best friend was my brother. He's 10 years older than me, and I get a phone call from him one day. I had the privilege of leading him to Jesus. He says, man, I don't get this, Matthew, but man, I got bad news. I said, what's the news, man? I get it, the Colts lost again, and Tom Brady won't retire. <laughs> what is it? Because I know it's worse than that, man. I got cancer. And so I, I'm the pastor, right? I'm, I'm the pastor of the church, and so I instantly go into full pastor mode. Well, we're, we're going to fight this, and we're going to beat this, and you're going you're gonna to win, and and God's going to do a miracle, and I'm going to write a book about this, and you're going to write a book. We're going to travel all over the world, and we're going to tell this story. That went through my mind. I'm not going to lie about it. Very carnal. It's about just a little over two years ago. Eighteen months ago, I stood believing that my brother would be healed, believing that the man that's in this picture, that after I led him to Jesus, you can't hardly see it, I know, I had the privilege of baptizing him. This picture hangs in my office as a reminder that God heals in all kinds of different ways. Because 18 months later, I stood over the shell of a man that I knew as my older brother, that I knew as my best friend, and I watched him breathe his last breath. And I was mad. And I was angry. And I doubted God. God, this isn't right. God, this isn't fair. And God sort of snuggled up next to me through some other people. I was devastated. And I couldn't see what was up in the hills that had me surrounded. All I could see is what was surrounding me. But as the months passed, my eyes began to open. And I began to see. And the seasons of loneliness left me, and I found new community. I found people stepped in to fill the role of my brother in my life, in the life of my kids. It slowly started to happen. And I became whole again. Like I said 20 years ago, my wife and I met on this campus, and a little over, it's been more than 20 years now. We got married. We met literally on the third day she was here. I was looking out of what was a men's hall at the time, Carmen Hall, with binoculars towards Shatford Hall. Um, she wore a very short red dress. She was a Wesleyan pastor's daughter. I thought, man, if this is how this is going to work, man, this is going to be a great deal. She's a year younger than me. I outpunted my coverage, so I took her on the spiritual walk. Come on. You guys act like we don't know you go to the baseball fields, all right? And so, all right, I can tell you some great hiding places, but let me tell you one place that's not a good hiding place, all right? Let me just, sorry, Dr. Bray. Sorry. I will not tell you them. I will tell them where they're at. 
Well, there's one place that's not a good hiding place. The back parking lot of the River Church, all right? Just saying. Might be a few of you who got sort of... Anyways, moving on. (laughs) Met my wife. Three months later, we got engaged. A year and a half later, we were married. A few years later, we had our daughter, and the rest is history. Hey, man, I'd outpunted my coverage. Had to put a rock on that finger, man. There's not a lot of women back in the day that were chasing down nine-figured men, all right? (laughs) She was willing to do it. So here you go. Stay with me because my time's about gone. And you guys need to get to class. But here's the deal. So we met here, man. It was great. And so for our 20th wedding anniversary, we decide to, we're going to go on a vacation, just the two of us, get rid of those kids and those bratty, mouthy kids. And man, it's going to be a great time. And, and so we, we book a cruise, save up our money, we pay for it, we fly to Florida and the whole deal. And we set sail out of Fort Lauderdale, man. It was going to be, or, yeah, there, somewhere down there. It was great. Sunday we go to the Bahamas, man. The first day of the, second day of the cruise. Man, this is great. Swim with dolphins and the whole deal. That night I, I wake up and I'm like, man, it's kind of cold in here. I say to Nicole, I said, man, what's going on? Why do you get the AC on? She said, I don't. I was sweating, and I was, she's a nurse, and by the way, ministry guys, you might want to chase the girls in the white coats because they can pay for your ministry, all right? Uh, I'm going to leave that alone, too, especially if you want to plant a church. It's important. She is my sugar mama. Anyways, she's not here today, so I can say lots of things. I'm never coming back, all right? But here's the deal. She knows something's wrong with me instantly. She says, man, you're sick. I think you have an infection of some sort. we got to go to the infirmary. I'm like, man, no way, man. Like, I'm ADHD Q times Z. If, if I get stuck down there with a fever, they're going to stick me in this room, and I paid a bunch of money to be on this boat, and I don't care if I infect everybody on the boat. I'm going to enjoy my vacation. <laughs> so I fight through most of the day, and that night, uh, May 6th, it became evident to me that I had become very sick. I couldn't stop shaking. Finally, she's on the phone to some doctor friends of ours here, off of, and they say, Matthew, you have, to, you have to get off the ship. There's something majorly wrong with you. So I finally go down to the infirmary. I meet this nice doctor guy, and they take my, my temperature. It was 103. I guess that's high. Um, I had high blood pressure, all kinds of stuff. And he, he looked me in the eyes, and he says, you have something that we call sepsis. Mr. Trexler, we have to figure out how to get you off of this ship as soon as possible. I laugh. I literally laughed at him. I said, ah, oh, man, just give me some antibiotics. It always works. And I promise to finish them, all right? Just, I promise. Next morning, he gives me five different antibiotics that night and all kinds of crazy stuff. And next morning, I wake up. My white blood count had doubled to over 45,000, 43,000. My temperature had climbed more. And the doctor on the phone says to Nicole, if you don't get him into a hospital, he's going to die. I remember finally getting to the ER in St. Thomas, Virgin Islands. It's, not a great, it's a great hospital, by the way. It's really cheap health care. And uh, great, incredible care. So people that think it's bad in other places, it's great. But I remember sitting in the ER. I could tell you all kinds of crazy stories. There was, there was a demon-possessed man that literally came up to my wife and I, and we prayed by the power of God that he would leave us, and he left us. Went up to the front desk, said, hey, can you tell us? What's the deal with that guy is? Well, what guy? Well, the guy that was just sitting there. There was no guy there. 
Your fever must be high. You're hallucinating. For 11 hours, I sat there. Finally got into my room, and I sat on the edge of my bed. My wife has now gone back to a ship and is in a hotel away from me. I, I find a friend's was so precious to me in that night because I would stare at my phone and think, man, she's oh so f- close, but oh so far away. What had been our dream vacation had now turned into a living nightmare. And I sat on the edge of my bed, devastated, broken, and in that very moment, so alone, and I yelled at God. I don't deserve, God, I'm a pastor, man. Our church is growing. We're leading people to Jesus. And I gave him a litany of a list. And my parents, man, my parents couldn't endure another death of one of their kids. And, and my wife, and, and I've got a son, God, and you know him. God, you know my son, and he's ape crazy, and there'd be nobody that could love him like me. And over the next three days, I prayed with a desperation I never prayed for, but I doubted God like I'd never doubted. Philip Yancey puts it this way, human beings do not readily admit desperation. But when we finally do admit our desperation, the kingdom of heaven draws incredibly near. I felt kicked, sucker punched, left for dead. And over the next three days, because God's people prayed, God showed up. Over 13 different antibiotics and all kinds of other crazy medicines, I found myself being healed. To the point that the doctor walks in the room and he says to me, after this turn had happened like they had never seen before, and these doctors had studied at John Hopkins and said, we've never seen this in all of our years. The doctor sat down on the edge of my bed, and I'm still mad at God. And he says, I don't know who you have on your team. But this is of miracle proportions. You should have died. I said, man, I'm just trying to figure out how to get on the next cruise ship out of here, buddy. (laughs) My doubt, I can tell you this, gang, has led me to a deeper faith and a deeper understanding of God. I want to tell you today, it's okay to doubt Because it's in the seasons of doubt where your faith will become deeper and more rooted than you could ever imagine. Because here's the deal. I'm here to tell you, I don't serve a God who who gives me answers. And my theology isn't based on cliche bumper stickers. I'm here to tell you, we don't serve a God where everything is clean and everything is perfect in this world. Anybody with me? And I'm here to tell you, if you can put God in a box, if you want to put your God so small that you can fit him into your little box, then I'm here to tell you, things are going to get really crazy dangerous in your world. But that's what I wanted. God, I wanted God to give me a tweetable answer to all of the doubts. Because I said, God, why would you then? Here's the next doubt for me. You're like, well, how could you doubt? You've been healed. Yeah, great, but here's the deal. Here's the question I came home with. God, why did you choose me and not choose my brother? Why would you heal me and not heal him? I'll never get that answer. As a matter of fact, when we try to think through this, if you're going to really know God and overcome, we've all got to wrestle through the pain and the struggle of this life with honest doubts. Some of us in this room today, you need to get out of the Christianese of your world that you live in and, have, and admit the honest doubts in your life, but to say, I'm desperately searching for you, God. 
You don't go like Eli did through Auschwitz and not have doubts of, God, where are you at in the midst of the night? Where are you at in the midst of the darkness? You don't go through being sucker punched. You don't go through in the midst of it, your parents separating and leaving. You don't go through the pain of this life and think everything's hunky-dory. And God, if you could just tweet me the answers to the struggles that I have. I'm here to tell you, I do not serve a God and I do not preach about a God who all of his theology can be tweeted out in one 280 character, whatever it is now. I serve a God that is allowing me to have honest doubts and will allow you to have honest doubts to allow your faith to go to a place that you never thought it could go. And some of us will wrestle with these unanswered questions for our entire lives. I will never have the answer why until I get to heaven. So I hold on to the promise of Psalms 27, 13, and 14. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Belief. Wake up today and just say, I believe God. Because belief is the antidote to a doubting heart. Belief is what helps us see the unseen. Belief is, belief is what brings us courage when we're discouraged. Belief is what gives us strength when we're weak. Belief is what makes the invisible visible. Belief is what makes the impossible possible. Today you possess the power that you can have superly, superly infused, that's I mean a word, into your world. If you'll simply just believe on his name and trust him. Dr. Bray is going to come. He's going to finish our time. But I'd just like to ask a question. Is this fair? I, don't, I guess it is because I have 30 seconds left. With every head bowed, every eye closed. I'll do this really quickly, man. How many of you in here today so I can pray for you because I'm going to go back to my office and our team's going to pray for you. Would say, you know what? I have a doubt-ridden heart today, and today I just haven't been able to get up and believe. I can sing all the songs, and I can do the Christian deal, but I have doubt in my life. I've been sucker-punched. And I've been shocked to a place that, man, I'm hurting. Would you just pray for me today? Is anybody else like that? Keep them up, right where you're at. Dr. Bray's going to look around with me as well, just to be fair, so he can pray for you as well. Yeah.